Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise. By your power, we will go. By your spirit, we are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. Good morning, good morning. It is the 8th of March, 2023. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Appreciate um, you this morning. Thank you uh, in advance for your prayers for me. I'm also lifting you up in prayer today. That's one of the things that we do prior to um, every broadcast. We pray for those who are listening. We pray for each one and every one. We pray that um, what God wants to communicate to you today would find fertile soil um, and a tender heart and land well and bless you. Um, so um, that is my prayer and that is uh, my hopeful intent. We are seeking to bring the mind of Christ to bear on what's going on in the world. And in order that you and I might be equipped as Christians to enter into the conversations of the day and to do so in ways that honor Jesus. So to that end, let us um, spend time first where I hope each and every one of us is spending first time, and that is in the Word of God. So today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day, which you can sign up for to receive in your inbox at MyFaithRadio.com, our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. God bought you with a very high price. So honor God with your body. This is the word of the Lord, my friends. Um, So just, uh, you know, take a minute and check yourself out there. Uh, You know, there might not be a mirror nearby, but you could probably look down and, you know, survey the tent, survey the Holy Spirit, the flesh tent, the the Holy Spirit's temple. Now, for those of you who are listening and you're like, I have no idea what she's talking about. Uh, what, 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 what does she mean that the Holy Spirit is living inside of people? Okay, so um, when, when people accept the good news of the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ, God promises to send forth his spirit to live within us, that we would be a people no longer possessed of our own spirit or the spirit of the world, but a, a people possessed of the very spirit of God. Like, so... You know, when people think you're crazy and they call you possessed, you can be like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am possessed. I'm possessed of the spirit of the living God. The spirit of God literally dwells within those who are Christians. And so when Christians meet, like, right, there's a unity of spirit and, and bond of peace. There's an instant recognition, spirit to spirit. Uh, it's a little bit like the way John in the womb of Elizabeth, leapt for joy when Jesus entered the room, even though Jesus was in the womb of Mary, like, right? Because the spirit recognizes the spirit. That's kind of how that works. It's also why you and I are repelled um, sometimes when we encounter 
others. It's the spirit within us being repelled by the spirit that is operating in the life of another person. If if that spirit is not the spirit of God, like that, that's real. That happens. We call it spiritual sensitivity. Um, some people think of it as a sixth sense. It's not a sixth sense. It's a spiritual sense. All right. So this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 is is about your physical body, my physical body. So what what does God care about the physical body? Well, this is um, a good opportunity for us to recognize that matter matters, your physical body matters, um, because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I mean, it matters because of creation first. Um, Genesis 1, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden, like God tabernacling among his people, walking around with them. But because of sin, a separation then exists, and you get the tabernacling of God uh, in the Old Testament. That's a great, fun study to do if you're looking for something to um, examine today. How did God tabernacle among his people in the Old Testament? And then, uh, obviously, we arrive at uh, at the gospel, uh, the arrival of Jesus, who literally takes on human flesh to do what? To tabernacle among us, to dwell among us, to live among us. Colossians 2.9 captures it as well. For in Christ, all the fullness of God dwells in bodily form, like literally God tabernacling among us. And then Jesus promises that God's going to send his Holy Spirit to dwell where? Not to dwell in a physical structure like a tabernacle of old, um, like a tent of meeting or even like a temple. No, to tabernacle in the same way that the Spirit was uh, present in the person of Jesus, right? That the Spirit of the living God is going to come and inhabit, inhabit, possess people who believe in the name of Jesus, believe that God sent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins and actually receive that grace. The Holy Spirit is going to live in those who are in Christ. We become the tabernacles of God in the world. Our bodies become temples of God's own spirit. And so we honor God with our bodies inside and out. What we put into them, what we wear on them, how we adorn them, how we use them, what we allow others to see or to touch, because our bodies are not our own. Our body, your body, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Good consideration today as we consider the world that is very much obsessed with the physical body, but maybe not necessarily as obsessed with the spirit of it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, it's just you and me for a few minutes this morning here at the outset of this hour. So I thought this might be a good opportunity for us to um, circle back around and uh, remind ourselves what's happening uh, among Methodists here in the United States of America. And let's be praying for not only um, those in congregations that are taking votes, but those in congregations that are not taking votes. Um, So if you are a person who worships at a United Methodist Church and you want to chime into this conversation, I'd love to hear from you. The text line is open, 877-933-2484. Love to know um, what you're experiencing in your own local church, 
um, how we can be praying for you. If you have already taken a congregational vote, how that went. If you have not taken one and a date is set, um, let us be praying for you. For those of you um, who are now saying, what's going on with the United Methodists? All right. So over the course of many years now, mainline or what we have called mainline denominations have been um, dividing themselves. That might be the best way to say it. I I like to think of it as a reorganization, um, but that's because uh, that might not surprise you that, you know, it's not euphemistic, really. I mean, like I, I actually see over the course of human history that the church grows by division. Like this is the way if you are, um, uprooting a plant and you, you know, you separate the parts of it and then you plant them in different places, the, the plant can then flourish more fully and, um, reach more, reach more and grow more and produce more. So, um, but I also recognize it's tremendously painful. It's, it's horrifically painful for a portion of the body to be divided. I get that. I have walked through this process with Episcopalians I have wa- who are now Anglicans. I've walked through this process with folks who used to be a part of the ELCA, the uh, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, who are now in ALC and a var- variety of other denominational expressions among the Lutherans. Um, I have walked this path with Presbyterians on many occasions. Um, those who are now in the PCA, those who are now in the EPC, Evangelical Presbyterian Church, and the newest Presbyterian denomination, um, ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. I've I've walked with people out of the PCUSA and into all of those expressions. I get this. I get this process and the pain that, um, that it causes in the lives of individual families and congregations. So let's be lifting up our United Methodist um, brothers and sisters as they are congregation by congregation voting on whether or not to remain in the United Methodist Church based here in the United States of America, which has um, now moved in the direction of being um, fully affirming of every one of the letters in the LGBTQIAA++ alphabet. there are those who do not view that as a faithful way forward for the church. And so they are voting to um, disaffiliate from that body and to either form new congregations or to align themselves with a global movement of, uh, of Methodists. And so um, here's, here's part of the challenge that's happening across the country. The denomination set a vote threshold, which means that, a congregation voting um, has to attain 67% positive vote for disaffiliation in order for that church to be released with its property and all of its assets into the new denomination. Failing that, even let's say if you get 66% of those voting, voting in favor of disaffiliation, you fell one percentage point short and the church and all of its assets, the the physical property and all of its material assets remain with the denomination. And you say to yourself, well, 67% is not too hard of a threshold to reach. Here's the challenge. Collierville, Tennessee, a large Memphis area um, church, attained a 64% vote and actually was really, really surprised at some of the people who showed up to vote on the day of the vote. Um, denominations happen to be really, really good at um, 
getting people out to vote on the day of the vote um, to retain those physical assets with the denomination. And so you can imagine that if 64 or 66 percent of the people no longer want to be in a denomination, it doesn't really matter that the denomination, quote unquote, wins the vote because it fell short of the 67 percent threshold. Those people are still leaving. And so that's what's going on. Um, And so, you know, you're talking about thousands of churches and you're talking about hundreds of thousands, even millions of people um, affected by this. And it's going on across the country. Over 1,800 congregations left the United Methodist Church in 2022. Many, many more are voting this year. Um, And by the end, if if, if this... Uh, process is like what has happened uh, among Episcopalians, now Anglicans, or among Lutherans, or among Presbyterians, then in the end, in the end, a relatively small percentage of churches will actually leave because it's just really hard to leave. But the churches that do leave tend to be large and healthy, and denominations tend to really, really struggle after their departure. So disaffiliations also tend to happen in geographic clusters and in waves. And so um, if you live in one of those communities, you know, let's just be, let's just be praying. Let's be, um, you know, supportive of people. All right. We got uh, folks on the text line saying my church voted. I can't even remember sometime in November and we voted uh, to leave. Um, We are joining the global Methodist movement. We voted last month for the name of our church and we are now uh, Lampasas Methodist Church. Well, thank you for um, for sharing that testimony. Um, Jenny has texted in and said a large uh, Methodist church in Madison voted to disaffiliate on Sunday. Um, and uh, and yes, um, the only people who get to vote, for those of you asking, are people who are uh, members of those churches. And so um, it's a um, it, it is a membership vote. But obviously, not all members show up to vote, and sometimes. Um, the people who do show up to vote aren't necessarily all that active. Like it's a complicated, it's a complicated reality, but I wanted to lift it up to you, let you um, be mindful of it and prayerful in the face of it. um, And just recognize this is, you know, it's, it's happening and it's really, really hard. It divides families, it divides congregations, it divides communities. um, And let's just be hopeful that the division then brings multiplication for the kingdom that that should be our heart. All right, let's take a very brief break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about who you're living with. So take a little survey. Think about that for a moment. Who you're living with, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Listen to Faith Radio live or on demand no matter where you go. Download the free Faith Radio app at your app store today. Welcome to the First Church of Mercy, where the doors of love swing open wide. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Uh, so lots of recent, um, I don't know, statistical information. Maybe that's the best way to describe this. Um, data. There's a lot of data out there right now uh, in terms of the U.S. population. And it's this might surprise you. Maybe it won't surprise you. Um, so this is a question about who you live with. Who's actually living in, in your house with you? Um, or in your apartment with you? Who who lives with you? So how would you answer that question? Um, do you live by yourself? Do you live with a spouse? Do you live with a spouse and your children? Do you live with um, a parent? Do you live with a grandparent? 
Do you live with nieces and nephews, brothers and sisters? Um, Do you live in a multi-generational household of some kind? So even as America has become more and more single, more and more, a higher and higher percentage of the American population is single. And yet, and yet, multi-generational households have quadrupled since 1971. That's really extraordinary. Quadrupled. So, you know, for every one multi-generational household in 1971, there are now four. So think about your own family or think about, and your extended family, think about your neighbors, think about your friends. How many people do you know who are now living in a multi-generational household? Now, part of this is um, by virtue of the fact that uh, Americans are living longer, a lot longer And those older Americans need to live with someone or someone needs to live with them. And that instantly creates a multi-generational household. So that's an important factor as a part of this. But economics are also a contributing factor. Residents of multi-generational households are actually less likely to be poor than those who live in other kinds of arrangements. Um, And need often drives multi-generational living, um, someone experiences unemployment um, or, or divorce or abandonment and needs to move back in with someone else. Disability is a driver. Um, people who are experiencing recovery of one kind or another or people who need care. Um, so relationships are also a driver of this. And this gets us into the crisis of young men in America. Young men are more likely than young women to live in multi-generational households because they have not established relationships beyond their family. And there is um, something that we have not talked about here much. Uh, We talk a lot about the crisis of young women, particularly very young women in terms of loneliness and depression um, and suicidal ideation. But we have a real crisis among young men. And why don't we talk about that? Um, most young men are single. Most young women are not. I mean, when you just do the math on that one statement, it's pretty staggering. Most young men are single. Most young women are not. How is that possible? Because women are increasingly either describing themselves as not single or not interested in being partnered um, or taking up with each other. Pew Research um, has delivered a lot of facts about single Americans, and over um, Valentine's Day, they ran a piece on this topic, and I don't think we ever talked about it. But here, you know, here quickly are the stats. Roughly six in 10 young men, that's that's 60%, that's a lot. Roughly six in 10 young men report being single. Three in 10 U.S. adults are single. Uh, meaning that they are not married, living with a partner, or in a committed romantic relationship. So single does not just mean unmarried. It means unpartnered or not in what they consider a uh, romantic relationship. So when you factor in age and gender, 63% of men under the age of 30 describe themselves as single. Only 34% of women under 30 describe themselves as single. Now that that could be a really depressing statistic if you're one of those guys under 30 and you're hoping to meet one of those women under 30. Um, that could be, uh, it could be a, a bit depressing. You could also say to yourself, where am I supposed to meet her? Well, increasingly, um, adults have turned to online dating. 
The challenge is uh, who is swiping which direction um, and on on whom are they swiping? And that is a real challenge for young men in the culture today. Um, men are basically fixated on looks. They basically make a judgment about whether or not they they would like to uh, at least examine or pursue a relationship with a woman online based on her looks. Women, it's earning potential. How they judge the earning capacity of that individual. Women are looking for economically and emotionally viable men, and our culture is producing neither. Women with college degrees do not marry men without college degrees, And women go to college now at a much higher rate than men. So how do we fix it? Well, I mean, the fix is going to be challenging because advocating for men in the culture today, um, well, first of all, as soon as you say men need advocacy, um, somebody is going to say you're anti-woman. So, you know, you you want to bring that on to me? Go ahead, bring it. Um, Because you all know that's going to fall flat here. But um, that's what happens when anytime anybody in um, the social sciences or anybody else tries to surface this issue. This is why we don't hear about this much in the press, because anytime somebody tries to raise this concern that young men are facing a real challenge in our culture and and as go our young men, so goes the culture. Like nobody wants to admit that, but that's exactly what's going on. We need to make massive investments in vocational education, in mentoring. We need more seats for men in freshman college classes. We also need a, a resurgence of what I would describe as those third places where single people can actually meet each other, churches included, because that's where we encourage the creation of bonded relationships and eventually households. And guess what? Households like, you know, one man, one woman making little babies is actually where the future of a culture resides. So there's a lot out there on this topic. If you're willing to um, dig around for it, I'm going to put a ton of links in the show notes today because I do think it's something about which we should be concerned. And I'd love to know if maybe your church or your community group has some intentional way of, um, of not only reaching out to young single men in the culture, but if you've got ideas in terms of a fix. You can always let me know on the text line, 877-933-2484, or email me, Carmen, at MyFaithRadio.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Let's take a moment to go upwards with Max Lucado. All right. I love the uh, the full house testimonies that you guys are giving me on the text line. Um, I love, uh, you know, I love, hey, we bought our house so that our my parents could move in. Um, Dad still lives with us, my husband and my daughter. And then my sister couldn't find a house uh, in the housing market. So she moved into it's a house full of love. I love the full house testimonies um, we're getting. Um, Anne reminds me that there is also a really significant um, immigrant and ethnic community influence in terms of multi-generational householding, um, generations living together. Yes, we want to celebrate that and not forget that um, either. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, hey, it's been a while since we have checked in with John Bradley. You remember him. He's the retired lieutenant general. Um, he uh, has a foundation called Lamia. He is intimately connected with um with people in Afghanistan and we're going to have John come back give us an update on Afghanistan as uh as Congress starts holding open hearings today 
um, on the 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan and why it turned into such a fiasco. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Lieutenant General retired John Bradley is joining us again. Uh, John distinguished himself in war and in peace. He is a courageous and compassionate leader, served for 41 years in the U.S. Air Force. Um, Part of that is commander of the United States Air Force Reserve Command. Uh, Yes, he um, flew fighter jets, Mm -hmm. including 337 combat missions in Vietnam. John, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. It's wonderful to be with you again. Does that feel like ancient history when I when I talk about those things? Oh, goodness, yes. It's more than 50 <laughs> years since I left my deployment in Vietnam, but uh, a lot has taken place in those last 50 years. And I've, uh, I've come to believe that uh, I was proud of my service for 41 years, but I've got to tell you, I think the last 15 years of my work, uh, particularly in Afghanistan, is the most important thing I've done in my life. I know. And I and so that's really why you're here. Um, the, the credentials of the past, right, are are how you ended up in Afghanistan. But what the Lord has used you um, to do, not only in that country, but to bring awareness of so many others to the concerns there through um, the Lamia Foundation. And again, we'll direct people to um, uh, John and Jan's foundation. It's Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. If you want to see all the things that are happening there and come alongside them in this effort. John, um, when we uh, when we talked with you in the lead up to and then eventually following um, the events of August the 30th, 2021, as the last of the American military personnel pulled out of Afghanistan, like you were in the midst of working with a lot of people who were ultimately left behind. I'm wondering if you could give us an update on the status of things. I certainly can. Thank you, Carmen, for asking. And and you uh, blessed me with having me on your program a number of times uh, from then on to the la- to uh, today. And we last spoke almost six months ago. A lot has happened. We're still in touch with all the people that were trying to get out. But we have had two good news family stories uh, six months ago. I was on your program and told you that we had welcomed a father and son who had been separated from two small children uh, in Kabul during the chaotic evacuation in late August 2021. The father and older son are now in the United States. They've been here for six months now, and the family is reunited, and they're doing very, very well. And it's a it's a great news story. The tragedy of that one was the man's uh, young wife, a young man, young wife, and mother, she was killed in the evacuation at the suicide bombing at Kabul airport. We've had another good news story of a young family who had special immigrant visas because this man had been an interpreter for the U.S. Army. And uh, he has a very sick daughter who's two years old. Uh, we thought she had cerebral palsy. It may be some genetic uh, disease, not cerebral palsy, but they are now in Rochester, New York, where there's a fabulous children's hospital and she's getting great care. So that family is here. So that's two success stories uh, of people we're trying to get out. But there are, are many other items of news that I'd be glad to talk about. 
Yeah. Well, when we talk about those um, those other items of news, why don't you just go ahead and lift them up? Okay. Uh, just a few minutes ago, I was uh, reading a, a news story online from the New York Times this morning about the plight of women in Afghanistan. And let me just read you a couple of brief things about the most restrictive government regime in the world. And uh, according to human rights monitors, girls are barred from secondary schools. We know that women are prohibited from traveling any significant distance from their home without a male relative. They can't go to public parks alone. They are banned from attending universities and from working for aid organizations such as mine. It's just incredibly restrictive. However, we are working hard. My foundation, the Lamy Afghan Foundation, has uh, 16 girls' schools in homes, 20 girls in each of, of 16 homes. That's soon to be 23 homes. Just yesterday, the World Food Program U.S., uh, the Catherine Bertini Trust for Girls' Education, awarded us and one other organization that works in Africa with a grant of $18,710 that will allow us to have 10 more schools. They gave us this grant last year as well. So we have 10 schools with 20 girls in each in homes. They are safe. They are secure. They have great teachers. Village elders are okay with it. They want their daughters to go to school. We've had a donor contribute enough for us to set up 10 more schools. So, uh, and then another smaller donor. So we're going to have total this year when the school year starts Later this month, they, they start school in late March due to winter weather. We will have a total of 23 homeschools with 20 girls in each school. So I call that a success story. I wish the public schools could operate to take girls to 12th grade, but that's just not the case today. Well, John, we want to celebrate that. Um, and we also want to direct people who are interested in helping to LAMIA, L-A-M-I-A, dot o-r-g maybe you're listening to this and you're like i could totally sponsor a school um, that's based in a home in afghanistan where 20 girls could continue their education um i could do that um so lamia l-a-m-i-a dot o-r-g um when you uh when you consider john that um the u.s congress is going to Hold hearings. In fact, they may have started. They, they were yes. set to start this morning. So, um, you know, and they're going to hear testimony of people who were on the ground. Um, Scott Mann, a former Green Beret, is set to testify. Aiden Gunderson um, served four years as a combat medic deployed to Afghanistan in August of 2021 and helped with the evacu evacuation. We, we expect to hear testimony of both of them. Um, we expect to hear testimony about the status of uh, of individuals who have served the United States of America well, but we left them behind, tens of thousands of interpreters and allies um, who were entitled to legal permanent residence in the United States, but whom we left behind. I'm wondering, John, from your perspective, um, is there a positive way forward? Is there something that could be done now um, to change the reality um, for those people? Yes, Carmen, there is. Thank you, ma'am. The the uh, hearings this morning at, I think, 10 o'clock Eastern, the House uh, Foreign Affairs Committee will hold hearings about the evacuation. It will go into the chaotic nature of it. And yes, 
the U.S. military did a great job getting a lot of people out, but some of the wrong people got out and a lot of the right people did not get out. So they will cover all of that. But beyond that, Carmen, the thing that could be done that people could uh, write their congressmen and senators about is a proposed law called the Afghan Adjustment Act. It came very close to passing in the last Congress, but it's new Congress now. They need to take it up. The Afghan Adjustment Act would considerably help many of those people that you're talking about who were interpreters for the U.S. Army and supporters of our our efforts there, and it would help them have a better path uh, to the future and give them uh, refugee status and allow them to come to the United States. The Afghan Adjustment Act, it's a very important bill that needs to pass this Congress. Tell us, um, John, what's um, what's happening among people who have come to the United States of America. Uh, as of last month, um, s- something like only 5,000 of the 77,000 Afghans who have come to America have actually secured permanent legal status for themselves and their families. Is the Afghan Adjustment Act, um, you know, for them as well? Is it is it for those who were left behind and for those who are already here but are definitely in limbo? Exactly. It's for both. It's for both. And yes, a lot of uh, several thousand Afghans have gotten here. The families have been put in cities all across the country. And I'll tell you, the reception they get across the country is extraordinary. Uh, In Rochester, New York, I, I mentioned them a moment ago with this young family with this very sick child. They have hundreds of Afghan refugees there, and they have an uh, an organization called Keeping Our Promise. In fact, I'm going to go up to Rochester uh, on August on April 26 to speak at a fundraising event they have about uh, what the importance is to this special immigrant visa process. But that this organization, like many others across the country, have done an incredible job in welcoming families, getting them housing, getting them a a, a car helping get jobs, getting food on the table, and providing for them. They are fabulous, and it's happening all across the country. The Adjustment Act, as you mentioned, would help those that are already here with their status to get them full legal status. It also would help process more to come to the United States from Afghanistan, those that are under threat still from the Taliban. So it's a very important piece of legislation, and we need to get it passed but uh, the reception of Afghan refugees in the U.S. has been extraordinarily good, in my view. All right. I'm going to um, encourage you to check out what is happening at keepingourpromise.org. Um, wartime allies still being relocated out of Afghanistan um, and keeping our promise. Um, they have resettled over 820 wartime allies to Rochester since 2014. Um, and their goal is to resettle another hundred Afghans this year. I, that's really that's really extraordinary in just one community. So, um, wow, that's really exciting. Thank you for turning us on to them. We're going to continue our conversation with John Bradley here in just a moment. If you have a specific question you're hoping I'm going to ask him, you could text it to me at 877-933-2484. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with John Bradley, um, and we are talking about our friends, many of whom still live halfway around the world, um, allies in Afghanistan in the more than 20-year war that the men and women of America um, fought on that soil on behalf of people there. John and his wife, Jan, founded the Lamia Afghan Foundation um, in 2008, encourage you to check it out at Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. Um, they continue to be engaged not only in Afghanistan, providing for secondary education for girls. Um, there will be 23 schools, each of which they're home-based schools, um, each of which will have uh, 20 girls each in this year's school year, which starts later in March. We want to celebrate that. Um, And in addition, um, the Lamia Foundation has been engaged um, through John's advocacy and the advocacy of others to extricate um, people from Afghanistan following the U.S. military's um, departure in August of 2021. So it's hard hard to even imagine, John, that um, that's already like a year and a half ago. Um, and I guess I'm wondering how people are faring, particularly those who have to hide. Like, I, I, what is life like? What are you hearing? It's not good. It's, it, life is horribly difficult in Afghanistan. They're going through a really rough winter. I remember about 10 or 11 years ago, a horrible winter in Kabul where babies were dying in refugee camps, and that's happening again this year. People are cold. They don't have uh, electricity in many cases. They don't have enough food. Families are starving. We've been feeding families, but we've had to almost stop that because of lack of donations. So we're trying not only working through schools uh, for girls, we're not only trying to get people out of Afghanistan, but we've been trying to feed people, and we have a women's medical clinic that's unfunded for this year. So donations have dropped off a lot. I understand it. People uh, are tired of Afghanistan. It's sort of out of sight, out of mind, but there are suffering people there. And Jesus told us, what you do for the least of these, you do to me. And that's the way we look at our work is we think that the people in Afghanistan, particularly the babies and girls, young children are the least of these, so to speak. And we're trying to help them. We'd like to be able to feed families as we've been doing for the last year and a half. But as I said, the donations have dropped off a lot. So we could use help. I don't usually go on programs and, and talk about donations, but it it would help us if we could feed people because they are suffering. So many families are destitute. They have very little food. There's no economy to speak of anymore in Afghanistan because of the brutal regime there. It's just in terrible condition. 
John, for folks who um, have missed uh, the conversations that you and I have had in the past, um, this started for you um, when you met yeah. a little girl. Could you could you just retell that story? Take us take us back to that reality yes, place in time and tell us that story. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. I, I went to Afghanistan uh, five times when I was in the Air Force. I was a fairly senior officer, a lieutenant general, a commander. I was not going to Afghanistan for combat myself. Believe me, I was a. I worked in the Pentagon. I was a commander, but I had reserve Air Force Reserve Airmen by the thousands that were deployed to Afghanistan. I would go to visit them. I did that five times. And one time I took a huge plane load of humanitarian aid that my wife, Jan, had gathered, 40,000 pounds of blankets and winter clothing, et cetera, and was distributing some of it in a village near Bagram Air Base and where the airplane had landed. And this little nine-year-old girl, Lamia, L-A-M-I-A, came up and begged me for boots like I was wearing my desert boots with my flight suit. I didn't have boots for her, but that's what gave me the idea when I retired um, about Ten months later, I decided, my wife and I decided we would just keep trying to help people in Afghanistan. So that's how our foundation got started. It was strictly a nine-year-old girl begging me for boots that started our foundation. We've built eight schools. We're running 23 home schools this year. We've been, we have sent three and a half million pounds of humanitarian aid to Afghanistan over the years. And uh, it's just a little mom and pop and daughter operation here, the Lamy Afghan Foundation. But we've we've educated tens of thousands of girls in our schools. But conditions are so much worse now than they have been for the last 15 years. So we're still trying to do everything we can to help needy families there. But it was just a little nine-year-old girl, as you mentioned, that, that got me into this work. She's now 24. Well I was going to say, can you tell us um, about Lamia today? Yes, we're in touch with her and her family. We've been feeding them. We've been giving them humanitarian aid, as we have many other families. We don't just concentrate on Lamia and her family, but we stay in touch with her. She, Lamia, her brother, her mother, and grandmother are all doing okay, but they need food. Uh, Lamia's father died several, 10 years ago. Uh, unfortunately, he was not well before he died. I mean, he was in serious condition for a number of years. But uh, we stay in touch with her. We talk to them. We text with them, we message with them. And uh, they're not doing any better than any other uh, mm-hmm. family in difficult conditions there. Um, John, um, you've been a lot of places. You've seen a lot of things. Um, because I know you are a believer, um, before we turn away from this conversation and, you know, and back to the, the demands of the day, I'm wondering if, as a Christian, you, you have a perspective to share on not only this, but sort of the things, things of the world. Yes, ma'am. As you said, I've been to many bad places. I've, I was in Vietnam for a year. I, I went to Cambodia. I've been to Mogadishu, Somalia, during the right after a few days after the Black Hawk Down episode where U.S. soldiers were killed and one was captured and made a POW for several days. I've been to some really bad places all across the Middle East, all across the, the world. But there's nothing that has touched me more than the difficulties of Afghanistan because women are so badly treated and they are second class citizens. But I will tell you, the thing that gives me hope is girls want an education. 
women have an education in many cases that can never be taken away from them. And they are the hope of the future. There's not a successful country in the world that doesn't educate half its people. So the Taliban need to learn a lesson here and they need to change their policies and allow women to work and go to school. But I have great hope. I do believe that things will change eventually. The Taliban is a tough, brutal regime. At least this time, they're not doing the indiscriminate killing of people like they did in the 1990s. But um, from the things I've seen around the world, the place that touches my heart more than anything is Afghanistan. Mm. And my religious beliefs, like you mentioned, lead me to to doing this work because I think we've been instructed to try to help those in need. And, and that's the way I look at this. I don't go over there trying to convert people because you would uh, not last long if you try to do that. But people know mm -hmm. that we're Christians. They know we're trying to help. And I think that sends a message to them. But uh, there's great need there, and we're going to continue working there. All right. If you are looking for more information about the Afghan Adjustment Act and you want to engage with it, um, Senator Amy Klobuchar from uh, from Minnesota introduced the bill in the Senate um, Representative Peter Meyer, who many of you know, um, is one of the uh, congressional sponsors of the bill. So just want to encourage you, if you want to engage on this front, the Afghan Adjustment Act needs our advocacy, um, and the Lamia Foundation needs our prayers and support. And so you can check out uh, that at Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. John, as always, thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you, Carmen. It's always a blessing to be with you and your listeners. And thank you so much for continuing to talk about this important subject. Absolutely. I'll make sure it's not another six months before we talk again. Okay. <laughs> no complaints at all, Carmen. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, that's, uh, um, that's retired Lieutenant General John Bradley, um, now heads up the Lamia Afghan Foundation. Again, you can find it at Lamia, L-A-M-I-A dot O-R-G. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. All right, uh, on our way out the door from this first hour, let's be uh, let's be praying for the welfare of the cities where we live, and let's be engaging locally, even as we lift up our concern globally. Um, thank you so much for the hour we've spent together. I look forward to spending another hour with you next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.